Hey everyone, my name is Eric Vento. I'm here with Mari Bass, and this is another podcast of Government to Private, where we explore transition stories from people who have transitioned successfully from all aspects of government service into the private sector. Um, Mari, I've known for quite some time now. I had the privilege of meeting him at a ACES GSX conference for the first time many, many years ago, it seems like. And we've remained friends ever since. He has graciously volunteered to, to share his story on our podcast today. And, you know, as we pre- previously discussed, Mari, you know, this is meant to be more of a conversation than anything else. It's just two people Absolutely. sharing their stories and, you know, their journey and in the hope that it helps at least one person who is in a similar position or considering a similar transition. So, Mari, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, absolutely, Eric. And, you know, I really appreciate, I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, just as a backstory, you know, I probably met you probably over three years ago, uh, prior to my retirement from the FBI on LinkedIn. Uh, I never had a LinkedIn account until uh, just prior, prior when I was going to make that, that, that public sector to private sector um, transition. And, um, you know, I was kind of, uh, we kind of just uh, sparked uh, some commonalities being in law enforcement. And uh, lo and behold, we, we met each other at a as-is conference. And, um, you know, we had a cup of coffee together and I've been following you and following your trajectory on LinkedIn. And it's been great to see your successes in helping people, you know, make that transition. So thanks so much for the invitation. Absolutely, Mari, I really appreciate it. So. As we jump into the podcast, can you give us just a, a high-level overview of your, you know, where you came from in federal law enforcement and, you know, when you started considering potentially getting out and what that transition would look like? Okay. So, so just as kind of thumbnail uh, summary of my, uh, my professional career, um, I was fortunate enough um, uh, that I, ser- I started my career uh, with the FBI uh, as a legislative affairs specialist, and I served in that position uh, for four years. And essentially, that was working at FBI headquarters in Washington and being a non-agent representing the FBI in dealing with senators and congressmen and their staff members on Capitol Hill. Um, and that was a great experience. And during that time, the FBI had a three-year hiring freeze, so they weren't hiring anybody. And um, I never really thought about being in law enforcement or being an agent. Um, because my doc, my, my dad was act, actually a, a doctor. My, my, my grandfather was a lawyer. So I figured, hey, I'm going to go to law school and, and, and kind of follow that trajectory. But uh, long story short, uh, I figured that being a lawyer wasn't something I was really passionate about. So as luck would have it, uh, I had a great mentor in college who was a retired FBI agent. And he said, hey, look, um, you could graduate on time if you switch your major from pre-law to criminal justice. So I started taking criminal justice classes. I became really very interested in criminal justice. I did a couple internships with uh, p- police agencies. I really got a, a passion for it, just like you uh, and or anybody in law enforcement, you really have to have a passion because the money um, you know, is not as great as people think. And obviously there's a lot of dangers and risk involved, but I really had a passion for law enforcement. And that led me to the FBI. I was lucky enough, as I mentioned, to get this uh, congressional affairs job. They had a hiring freeze. So obviously um, being an agent 
is very difficult. It's a, a numbers game. Uh, they had hundreds, if not thousands of people applying for one position. So I figured, hey, I'm not going to put all my eggs in one basket. I'm going to, if I, if I don't become an agent, if I don't go into law enforcement, I'm going to go to business. So I started going, pursuing a, a master's degree in business because I figured, hey, that's my second passion. I want to kind of get in, involved in that. Um, and, and as luck would have it, uh, the Bureau lifted its hiring freeze in mid-94, and I was went through the process, and I literally, from when I applied to when I, my first day at New Agents Training at FBI Academy at Quantico was literally less than 90 days, which is pretty unheard of because, you know, <laughs> they do a background check, and, you know, the government is, is very slow in what they were doing, but they uh, had all these people retiring, you know, just a bunch of people retiring, hundreds of, hundreds of people retiring. So I was very lucky in kind of riding that crest of the wave, uh, the initial crest of the wave where uh, my whole class was former FBI non-agent people. So I went through new agents training uh, mid 90, or actually November of uh, 1994, finished in February of uh, 1995. And then um, it was all needs of the Bureau. So all of the big offices like New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago, got all the new agents because, you know, they're high expense, they're very expensive areas. Nobody wants to live there um, uh, and all that. So um, luckily I got shipped to Los Angeles division and the special agent in charge at that time said, hey, look, um, what do you want to work? He gave everybody, all the new agents, a survey. And I said, I want to work violent crime and I want to be in Orange County, California. And I <laughs> got those choices. And that's crazy. And I've never been to Orange County. It was before the internet. So the only reason I heard about Orange County is that there was a female uh, new agent in a class behind me who was from Orange County and said, hey, look, if you have the opportunity to go to Orange County, go there because you won't be, it, it's a beautiful county. It's, 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 it's a beautiful, it's right near the beach. You got Newport Beach, Laguna and all that. So uh, luckily the first four years I was uh, working violent crimes and drugs and gangs and all that. Um, after that, I worked a little bit of white collar very briefly. That wasn't really my wheelhouse. And subsequently, I spent most of my time uh, working uh, domestic terrorism or counterterrorism issue. This is way before September 11th, where the Bureau really didn't care about counterterrorism as it does now. You know, a lot of um, the efforts of the FBI before September 11th were like violent crime, fugitives, bank robberies, interstate theft of stolen property, you know, uh, law enforcement cooperation matters. So um, I was on the counterterrorism squad. I really enjoyed it. Um, and, oh, actually it was before counterterrorism was called counterterrorism. Um, I, I was essentially the only domestic terrorism agent in Orange County, California. And uh, it was funny because I'm Filipino and here I am chasing white supremacists and black <laughs> supremacists. And, and, you know, it was, it was just a weird, very weird dynamic that my supervisor selected me out of, you know, everybody else. But I enjoyed it. It was, uh, I had a lot of sources, good cases. I put a lot of bad guys in jail. And then, um, you know, obviously September 11th happened. The, the Bureau and just like law enforcement uh, transitioned drastically. Uh, I was one of the first founding members of the Orange County Joint Terrorism Task Force. And um, out of about 25 years as an agent, I spent probably about 20 of those years on multi-agency task forces. So I got to work with state and local uh, investigators, detectives, um, 
state investigators, um, and some of my best friends to this day are state and local investigators. So even though I'm an FBI agent, I, most of my colleagues were state and local, uh, state and local agencies, as well as some federal uh, agencies like HSI or CBP or whatever. Um, and it was a great experience. Uh, I, I, I um, kind of uh, was a street agent, a field agent, investigator for about 15 years had a chance to promote as a squad supervisor, uh, running some joint terrorism task forces in Riverside and Long Beach, you know, overseeing the LAX resident agency, which is like the third biggest uh, airport in, in the West Coast. And I had a chance to um, kind of uh, serve as the executive director for the Joint Regional Intelligence Center, the, the, the JRIC. And um, I only say that is because like in the FBI or federal law enforcement, um, usually when you promote up, you have to move all around the country. and um, my family is very important to me and I had little ones at that time and my wife had a good job. I didn't want to do that. So I would have rather stayed as a street agent, but fortunately I was able to, to, uh, find that path of, of promoting up a little bit, um, just within the, the greater Los Angeles area. And it was great experience, uh, another task force environment. Um, and it, it was just awesome. I really enjoyed, enjoyed the job the last few years, um, because the FBI had like a, a seven year up and out where basically you serve as a, as a frontline supervisor for seven years. And then after that, you either have to promote up and move or step down. And I was already at the later stages of my game where I didn't, I didn't want to do that. I don't want to move my family. And it, it wasn't really beneficial cost-wise. So um, I decided basically to step down. I was fortunate enough to serve as like the InfraGuard coordinator, which the public FBI's public private sector uh, coordinator. Um, I was able to do a lot of international training for the FBI, um, which I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, and then, you know, to your question about uh, when did I think about making that transition? So um, I never really thought about like after the FBI because I really enjoyed being in law enforcement. Um, I, I thought the people were the, the best human beings that I have ever worked with. Um, uh, just like any law enforcement uh, officer, you, 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 you are involved with critical incidences, um, your friends get hurt, your friends get killed. And, you know, I experienced that. I had friends, you know, local agencies, local police department officers who were killed. My best friend in the FBI, Stephen Shaw, uh, FBI um, agent, he was killed in a, uh, he was an HRT operator. He fell out of, fell out of a helicopter uh, doing a um, maritime operation. So, you know, I, that was like my passion. And, and, and post-bureau or after law enforcement, it's always hard for law enforcement officers to find that next mission, that next passion. So, um, you know, for the FBI, we could retire at 50 with 20 years in, or we get kicked out at 57. So I didn't want to wait until I was 57, because we all know that um, there is age, I hate to say discrimination, but, you know, people... Uh, private companies, they want to get younger people. They want to get people who are experienced, but they don't want like somebody who is um, in a retirement mode or just getting ready to just spend a couple months there or a year and then just retire. They want somebody who could still contribute. So I, um, I, I started my, uh, my quest to uh, make that transition about a year, year and a half uh, prior to um, actually uh, retiring on February, 2020. And, um, you know, to your point, Eric, um, there's a lot of things that I did wrong that I wish that I knew now that it would have saved me a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of angst. But I think that like 
anything else in life, the adversity just makes you a stronger, better person. Um, because I tell people who contact me, law enforcement, you know, don't be discouraged. You know, when you're applying to jobs, you're applying to like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, and you don't get any response back, or you don't get the interview, or or they ghost you, or or um, uh, you get an interview, but you're not selected. You know, don't take it personally. Um, you just got to keep on pacing yourself. You got to like think that, hey, I have something of value that I could bring to, to, to the private sector, to the corporate security. Um, and, and you got to rely on your family, your friends, your social, your, 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 your social network to help you keep on going. Because, um, you know, it is depressing to get uh, constant negatives. And for, for most people, they will constantly get more negatives than positives. Everybody that I've talked to get more closed doors than open doors. But you have to keep on having faith in yourself. You have to come up with a strategy. You have to reach out to professionals like yourself or peers uh, that may have a contact in a particular company or who've already successfully made that transition to give you tips uh, and obviously, we, we live in, a, in, in, in the day of, of the internet. There's so much information that I glean from the internet, from reading books about how to make transitions, how to interview, how to put together a cover letter, how to make a, a resume. Um, but there's also so many uh, companies and, and people who uh, can help you uh, for, you know, obviously, uh, you know, for, for a cost. And, 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 and that's fine, too. Because you know they could they could see things in your in your resume and they could talk to you via uh, a, an interview that you might not think is valuable, but they could flush it out and put it on paper because that resume and cover letter is just a a, a possible uh, way to enter a business, enter corporate security or or whatever you want to do. Um, that needs to be that needs to be dialed in. You know, it needs to be it needs to really reflect who you are and what you bring to the table. And uh, you know, there were so many times that I was I felt like, man, I'm just getting a beatdown. I'm just not getting. I'm getting ghosted. You know, I wrote. I spent hours on like crafting my resume and and cover letter, and then you submit it on the company portal, and it takes you hours to do that. And then you submit it at ten o'clock, and by ten ten. You get a form letter saying that you're no longer considered because your quality, your your quality, your 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 um your competencies aren't as uh, competitive as everybody else. And I'm thinking to myself, well, how can they know that after ten minutes? After ten minutes of me submitting it on the portal, so those things happen. You know, most of the time, it's it's a computer that gets back to you, the candidate, the applicant. Most of the time, that happens. There's a lot of screening on the computer. Uh, usually the HR person, they don't really know law enforcement, what we could bring to the table, or they're like some young kid, some young HR person, which is fine, but they don't really know all of the, all of the, all of the skills, the hard skills and soft skills and contacts that law enforcement officers can bring to, to the table. And, and, and I think that's the challenge because for us, we're thinking, man, I did all this stuff. Like I arrested all these people. I put these cases together. I, I, I built these relationships and they can, they don't see the value in that. So, you know, long story short, you just got to pace yourself and you got to utilize the tools that are out there and you got to have a support network. That's, that's going to be like the long game that you have to play. 
And and there's a famous guy. I think uh, his name is Grant Caldone. Uh, Grant Caldone, I believe his his name is. He's uh, he's Cardone. a big real estate. Yeah. He's a big uh, real estate investor in um, in Miami. And uh, look up his YouTube video on on interviewing. And even though you know he's very over the top and he's very gregarious and very energetic, he said something that 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 I, that's burnt, burnt in my, in my, in my brain. And that is looking for a job is a job. You have to treat it, even though you have a nine to five job, you have to treat it looking for a job as the job. You know, you have to spend five, 10, even more hours, you know, crafting your, your cover letter, crafting your resume, uh, setting up alerts, uh, making the network on LinkedIn or calling people who might know somebody who knows somebody at the company. So it is a job. And, and if you treat it that way, you're going to be more diligent in doing the best job you can and, and also kind of drive that consistency to accomplish that goal that you want to accomplish, which is to find that next job that kind of drives you to have, fulfills you as a person, as a, uh, fulfills the mission that you're looking for. Um, so, you know, as I mentioned, uh, as you can tell, I'm really passionate about this whole public sector, private sector transition because you know it was a challenge. Um, I thought, and you know, I'm I'm a pretty humble person. I don't really, I'm very low key. People who know me, but I figured, hey, I did all these great things in the FBI. I built these cases. I had these sources. I I traveled internationally. I have a CPP. I have an advanced degree and all this stuff, but. At the end of the day, it's all about relationships and it's all about your value add to the company because yep. the company, as you know, they don't understand and they don't care how many people you arrested or what kind of cases you put together. They want to know what you as a person could bring to the company. What hard and soft skills can you bring to the company? So that's really important for law enforcement people to understand. Um, I, as I mentioned, I get contacted every month by various law enforcement agencies, you know, people I know or friends or friends or whatever, because, you know, I'm in private sector, uh, corporate security now. And, and that's what I tell them, that, that they have to kind of change their way of thinking. Uh, when they're interviewing for like a sergeant's test, a lieutenant test, a captain's test, uh, supervisory special agent test, an ASAC test, um, assistant special agent charge for the FBI. That's totally different from looking for a job in corporate mm. sector, in private Preach. sector. Preach. Yeah, yeah it, exactly. And that's <laughs> what people have to understand. Private sector is not going to change the way it looks at how they hiring, hire. You have to change your dynamic, your strategy on meeting their needs. And that's, I made a lot of mistakes going, you know, when I started this journey of looking for, uh, you know, post, post FBI career. And as I mentioned, I'm passionate about it because I could think of those days that, man, I felt down, you know, because I, I wasn't selected. I got a form letter. I did. I, I felt like I did great on the interview, but I didn't get a call on, on for the next level, or I was at the final stages. I was one of the final selected, but I didn't get a, get that that final selection. So, you know, just like everything else, I think that adversity really helps you get stronger. Amen to that, brother. Like, you know, a lot of what you said really resonated with me. Like, and, and first, you know, 
A, thank you for sharing. That was that was amazing. B, you, know, you mentioned like don't take it personal, you know, and you know what what I guess what what conflicts with that statement is when you're going through the process and you're submitting all these applications and you're getting all these rejections, it it is intensely personal, you know, and it feels intensely personal. And you know what it kind of resonates with what you just said about being able to articulate your value, you know, because I think the, the one thing that I really, it really resonates with me is, you know, in the, in the financial services industry within like anti-money laundering and fraud, there's a term called KYC, which is know your customer. And there are, there are the, that basically says, you know, we need to know who we're banking with in order to mitigate fraud, mitigate risk, et cetera. It's deeply tied into you know, the U.S. Patriot Act and other um, other ordinances and laws and, and statutes. But from a resume perspective and from a transition perspective, I prefer to think of it in terms of KYA, which is know your audience, you know, because just when you just when you said about like, well, people don't care about the number of DUIs or number of arrests or the, all the RICOs that you investigated or something like that you have to think about who's looking on the other end of that job application process. And you have to assume that it's going to be someone who most likely has no idea what you've done. They don't know what that means. They don't know what the terminology consists of. They don't know how it correlates to the job that they're hiring for. It's up to you to come up with a corporate language to say, all of these arrests, these international operations that I've run, the relationships that I've built overseas, Everything that I've done, I need to correlate that to the job application or the job description that I'm applying to. And if I do that and I'm successful, then whoever's reading on the other end will be able to say, you know what? I don't really know what law enforcement does other than what I see on cops or the local news or something like that. But the way that he had described what he's done, the number of investigations that he's conducted, the specific typologies or the specific crimes, et cetera, or even more of a story of this was the problem. This was the, you know, something that he implemented and this was the measurable result. You know, everyone can identify with that because you're showing process. You're giving them a window into here's how I solve problems. Here's how I communicate. And ultimately, that's why every single job description and or interview is made up of both what did you do, but also the behavioral questions of, you know, tell me about a time that you experienced conflict in the workplace. What did you do? You know, and people want to see you process out loud. They want to see how you respond to conflict or how you use interpersonal dynamics. And every single skill that you have obtained in your law enforcement career, whether you were a patrol officer for a five-man department or whether you were a SAC at a, at a major field office, every single skill is directly translatable. The Absolutely. private sector, it's just in a different language. Absolutely. You know? And as soon as you, I guess, make that mental transition, which you know, it's not an overnight switch by any means, but mm-hmm. as soon as you recognize, okay, you know, I need to ensure that what I'm saying in my resume or anywhere else is seen, heard, and appreciated from a corporate perspective, then it makes things a lot more, you know, transparent and it makes things a lot more understandable. Absolutely. You know? 
So yeah. you, you mentioned at the end, you know, relationships are everything. So yeah. what were what were some of the major things that you did that you really attribute to a successful transition? Okay, so um, just to kind of uh, go back a little bit to your point um, about um, being able to communicate uh, your value add, as you know, there is a method called the STAR method, which is situation, tax, task, action, result. And that's where I tell people when they're preparing for an interview or the, when they're laying out their, their resume, you got to look at everything, all the highlights of your career through that prism, the STAR method, situation, task, action, result because you're, you're trying to convey a story in a very short period of time so that a non-law enforcement person can relate to it. Um, and, and I think to your point, that's where a lot of law enforcement or even military get jammed up because they, for the most part, they don't wanna, they're humble people. They don't wanna talk about all the things that they were involved with. Or if they do, they overcomplicate it by using too many acronyms um, they stress the number of arrests or, or, or uh, crime solved, but you got to make it relatable as to, you know, your, your, your interpersonal skills, your writing skills, your way to, to uh, deal with critical incidences, things like that, that you can relate to uh, somebody who's in private sector. So I think that's really, really uh, important and kind of to jump forward a little bit to answer your question about uh, just making contacts and and all that. Um, you know, I see it on your postings all the time on LinkedIn, uh, and you know, you do a really great job of like connecting people. It's just so important to 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 reestablish contacts with people who are former coworkers because people know people, and if they know that your Eric is a competent, great person to have on your team, they're going to be your biggest advocate for looking for jobs to being the advocate at that company to say, hey, out of those hundreds of applications, please pull Eric's application. And that helps. That is a tremendous benefit. Um, additionally, you know, we live in the internet world where in LinkedIn, um, I personally have saw have seen postings at companies and um i looked on linkedin try to find out who the hr manager is or this or the the decision maker and i would just send them a send them a short um short um a message saying hey sir or hey ma'am you know i'm maury bass i applied to this uh, senior director uh, the security director position um I, I feel that i'd be a great fit for your company and and here's uh, attaches my cover letter. You know, I'd love to love to have a few minutes of your time to to engage and see what I could bring to your company. And and for the most part, one out of one out of three times, people will get back with you. I've had people spend thirty minutes helping me, coaching me, and saying, "Hey, this is how you do it." You know, or this is our company. Uh, our company values these these attributes and this kind of employee. Or this is how our our previous security director was successful. And and for the most part, people like to talk about the company, about themselves. And, and um, you know, I, I totally tell people, don't be scared to reach out to people because what's the least, what's the worst that could happen? They just Absolutely. ghost. Them. That's yeah. it. 
And you but haven't lost anything. Yeah, yeah, you haven't lost anything. But when people contact you, it's just another person, another team member on your on your side that could help you, possibly help you uh, in your career transitioning or maybe a career in the future because they'll remember Eric. Yeah, I had a great conversation with Eric a year ago. And man, I think he's a great person for this job that's coming up. Let me call him up. Yeah, I mean, that's a fantastic point. And, you know, to kind of segue into that, I tell people all the time that, you know, I've been laid off four times in mm-hmm. the private sector. I mean, it, <laughs> there's not a lot of stability, depending on, on what company you're in, where the state of the job market is, the economy, et cetera. Obviously, there's exceptions to the rule, um, depending on whether you work in-house or contract and stuff like that. But, you know, I tell people that, you know, out of those, out of the multiple jobs that I've had, more than more than three have come from relationships. More than three have come from me not applying to a job, but instead someone reached out to me and said, hey, I think you'd be a great fit. Are you open to having a conversation? You know, and those contacts, that's the best way. Exactly. And, you know, it's I, I, I just had a conversation with someone earlier today who was really discouraged and really struggling with the process and, and, and questioning, you know, themselves about are my skills really valued? You know, do people really want my experience? Because, you know, everything that I've done so far has suggested no. And so I was really able to have a fantastic conversation with them about Here's what you're doing. Here's what you might want to consider doing differently. You know, I know that you've really struggled, that you're really depressed about, you know, the transition, but, you know, there's a whole army of people out here who have transitioned before you, and we are here to support you. We're here to, you know, help you leverage our connections and our relationships to help you get in that job that you want to be in, you know? And I think as law enforcement officers, but also, many aspects of, of government, like the military and the intelligence community, you know, we're naturally private people, you mm-hmm. know, we're naturally, um, we don't like to share information and we don't like to ask for help, you mm-hmm. know, in a lot of situations, but the transition is a place where you do need to ask for help, you know, and Absolutely. you need to recognize that through this process, you know, every single one of us have been where, you know, you are. You know, every single one of us has been in a position where we're like, what am I doing wrong? You know, and eventually we had someone help us, whether it was someone at the company, whether it was someone we met at, a, at an organization, we met on LinkedIn, whatever the case may be, they were able to give us help that significantly changed how we approached this process. And it just goes to show you that at the end of the day, you know, qualifications may get you in the door, but people are the reason why you stay. Absolutely. You know? And uh, Absolutely. it's just something that I, I I marvel at, you know, because, you know, my, this job that I have, not only my full-time job, but my, my part-time job doing this enables me to meet with just a wide range of people from all walks and, and backgrounds. And just hearing their story, every single one of them is unique. And their journey is unique, but the overall framework is consistent. It's, I'm transitioning out. I don't know what to do. You know, my resume isn't getting hit. You know, how does this networking thing work? Well, how does LinkedIn work? What do I do? You know, and they're just looking for direction. You know, they're looking for, does someone understand my story? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a, 
it's a blessing, you know, and, you know, it's a blessing to have you on this, on this podcast and, and to hear about your story and your journey. And I'm sure it'll be a blessing to a great many people who watch this in the coming days. Um, you know, what are, what are one or two things that or one or two pieces of advice that you'd like to pass along to whoever's watching this? Well, um, it's funny you ask that because, you know, in, in when I was kind of thinking about this interview and thinking about you and I want to kind of get my thoughts together, um, obviously we hit on the topics that are critically important. Uh, people who are new to looking for um, a, a, a private sector, a job in private sector coming from government after working government for a long time, you know, obviously in government, in law enforcement, we have stability. Um, since I've been in private sector, you know, we had COVID. It shut down a lot of businesses. A lot of people got laid off. And in, in, in my current position, I work for a Fortune 50 company. Uh, we've had three layoffs. So to your point, Eric, I mean, you, ha- you were laid off uh, four times. And and obviously that is detrimental because you know you have a family to feed, you have uh, responsibilities, and and uh, on LinkedIn I see a lot of people who have just been laid off from the 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 the, the, the current uh, economic situation. A lot of a lot of tech companies have laid off people. So this our discussion, I think it's not only pertinent to law enforcement professionals, but like everybody. Anybody who wants to wants to you know work HR or work uh, uh, in, in in marketing or or legal uh, services or whatever, um, I think that the the points that we talked about, such as uh, the importance of connections, uh, the importance of just analyzing and having a hard discussion about your value add and how you can convey that. Uh, the importance of making sure your cover letter and resume and your LinkedIn profile are dialed in. Be it you get some, you're one of your friends, your, your spouse helping you, uh, or you know hiring a professional like yourself to to look at that because having another person look at your cover letter and resume and LinkedIn profile really helps in 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 kind of flushing out and getting to the the bones of what you're trying to convey. Um, another point is the importance of setting job alerts, you know, utilize the internet. You've got indeed, you've have Glassdoor, you have all usajobs.com. There's so, there's so many of these websites that I've used to set up alerts on specific jobs and, and locations and pay and, and all that, 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 that I'm interested in. And then you get those alerts and that's really a good lead to kind of, focus your attention and look at those alerts and kind of look at the kind of companies and, 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 and environment that uh, you might want to work in and kind of focus on those jobs that you want to apply for. Uh, another um, tip that I'd have is that uh, you should apply to a variety of positions. Just don't, for like prior law enforcement, they're, they're always thinking about, hey, let's go into corporate security or, or some type of security field. You know, if you have a background that is you're a, a, a guru in, um, in, in HR or legal or a CPA or you have some kind of specialized skill, uh, a writer, for example, um, you know, broaden your horizons to different jobs. You, your first priority might be, hey, I, I feel like I need to go into corporate security, but you might 
have another second or tertiary skill like you might want to develop. So look, don't, don't be pigeonhole on like security only. You got to like broaden your horizon because you never know what door, what doors will open. Um, the next tip that I wish I, I learned was to pace yourself, you know, have a support network. I mean, my wife was tremendously, you know, she dealt with me, uh, you know, uh, bitching and complaining and, and being sad for myself. And, and she helped me craft my resume and cover letter. Uh, and, you know, just having friends and family that are understanding and want to help you succeed. That's critically important because this is a marathon. It's not a sprint unless, you know, you happen to be the lucky person where somebody just picks you out <laughs> of the blue. But usually that doesn't happen. Um, and with that is you have to have an organization. You have to ha be organized because for me, I applied to hundreds of jobs. And sometimes you hear back from people um, within a week. Sometimes you don't hear from them for a month, a couple months. And what I use that worked for me is I use an application called um, Mr. Task. And it's basically, you could use any type of application, but basically you, 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 it, you, it houses all the jobs, your cover letter that you sent them, the link, uh, some inform company information, key people at that company, their, their annual report, all this, all this information in one place. So when you do get that call a week or two weeks or a month, you can just look at your application and then pull that information because I can't tell you how many times I've been called two or three times. Like I had interviews or I, I had to respond to a company that was interested in me, um, you know, three times in one week. And it was kind of like, Oh, what company, when did I apply for that? What, what, which resume did I send to them? So you want to make sure it's dialed in. you got a process. You, you have a method to your madness. Um, and, and, and lastly, as I mentioned, Looking for a job is a job. You've got to be, you can't do it half-baked. You have to be committed. You have to be all in. You have to sell yourself. Um, and, and, and that's what's really important. Your number one goal should be to get an interview. I'd applied to jobs that I felt like was way over, you know, way over, um, uh, you know, my, my, my background. But all I wanted to do is get that interview because that interview, even though you might not be the right person for the job, it's going to give you a chance to hone your craft of interviewing. And most of the interviews are via video. And you know how awkward that is to talk to a screen and, and put, tell your whole life story. So the more interviews you go on, either on video or in person, do it because it's going to make you a better person. It's going to make you more dialed in. You're going to know your cover letter, your resume. You're going to know your stories that you want to highlight in that star method I talked about. And you're just going to be, you're just going to feel better about yourself because you're going to have a confidence in knowing exactly what you bring to the table. I could not agree with you more, Mari. And, you know, you mentioned a really good point with the interviewing, you know, most people who are in, you know, the government, they think they do pretty well in interviews, but the corporate world is different because you're having to articulate your government experience to the corporate world. And that's not something that a lot of people have experience with unless you've been in corporate interviews. And, Absolutely. you know, I tell people all the time that, you know, absent going on an actual interview, there's a 
um, resource within LinkedIn, if you go to the jobs section, on the left-hand side, there's an interview tab. And it gives you the top 26 questions that you're most likely to encounter in an interview mm -hmm. setting. And it goes across all these different industries. And corporate security is inevitably not one of the categories on there, but it doesn't matter because those questions that you encounter, like, tell me about yourself, or what do you expect to make compensation-wise, or what is your strengths, what's your greatest weakness, whatever the case may be. How did you those manage all, people? Yeah, exactly. Those are all questions that every single job tends to ask during the interview process. And so getting a sense of how you're going to respond to that and, and how you should approach that question from a framework perspective, just like you mentioned STAR. I mean, when I'm going into an interview, I usually have the STAR method above my screen. And so mm -hmm. I have it mapped out. Okay, I'm going to talk about this. These are the examples I'm going to use if I get asked. So I'm not having to, you know, come up with it on the fly, you know? Absolutely. And because when you come up with things on the fly, you tend to make mistakes. Uh -huh. You know, you tend to either rush into it, you tend to exaggerate, you tend to, you know, just let everything come out, so to speak, in my opinion, at least. But when yes. you have things mapped out, then it makes it a lot more concise when you're in the interview stage, especially when you know, okay, I'm going to talk about the situation, the task, the action, the result. And that's exactly what the corporate recruiters are looking for anyway. So by providing your information in the format that they're already used to and what they expect, you not only make it a lot more easier for them to comprehend your experience, but you come across as that much more professional. And, yes. you know, that's a, that's a really good point to make. Um, exactly. And, you know, you're, you're, you're telling a story. You know, you want your story to be short and sweet. And with the story, you're also trying to build that likability factor. You, because they're thinking, hey, is this, is this, is Maury the kind of guy that I want to work with? You know, is he, exactly. is he, he going to be a likable guy? Is he going to relate to my coworkers? So you're trying to convey that. You don't want to come across as like a, a hard nosed person. You want to be the type of person that, that they want to add on your team. And, 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 and to your point with the star method and having, um, you know, these, these cues on, um, you know, above your, the video screen. I mean, that's the beauty of having these, these, uh, these, these interviews via, um, you know, um, <laughs> on the video. Right. Because you could put those keywords, you could put those stories, you know, you could put those keyword, those, those things that you want to convey to them. Um, and, and that's the great thing. Now, when you go in for the in-person interview, you don't have all those, all those tabs and you can't bring your notebook and refer to them. You have to basically be able to articulate them and kind of draw on them. But, you know, one thing I really enjoyed is I enjoyed the interview because it was a challenge because you, in law enforcement, we have to communicate with people. We have to build relationships. We have to, we have to um, uh, uh, ensure or help people kind of de-escalate. So, as law enforcement professionals, I think that's something that we already have those skills to do that. But to your point, you've got to speak in a corporate private sector language. And that is the most important thing that I, I tell people when they're going out to do the interview is you've got to, you've got to like summarize what your, what, what the highlights of your career is, what you bring to the table, and you've got to give them a short, sweet story. Amen. You know, that brings up a really good point because, you know, I was doing 
I was doing a conversation the other day with an ATF agent and he kept on telling me, I keep on making it to the middle interview, but I'm not making it any further. I think it's a problem with my interview skill. I'm like, okay, well, there's one way to find out. Let's do a mock interview. And so I asked him a very commonly asked question, which is, you know, tell me about a time that you experienced conflict in the workplace. You know, how did you approach it? How did you handle it? And what was the eventual result? And, you know, what what recruiters and what hiring managers and whoever else is involved in the process, what they're looking for is a quick two to three minute blurb on a very simplistic example that they can say, okay, he approached this you know, situation professionally, he utilized problem solving, de-escalation, active listening, whatever the case may be, and they came to an amicable solution and were able to move on. And you know, this guy gave me literally like a 20 minute diatribe on a contentious relationship he had with a former CI. And I let him go through the whole thing. And then I said, okay, I know why you're not moving on to the final stage, you know, (laughs) exactly. And I was like, no one knows who the CI is. No one knows about the relationship that exists between a handler and a CI. No one's able to relate to that except you know, in the rare exception that whoever's interviewing you is from law enforcement, you know? Um, But once I explained, this is what they're looking for and this is how you need to approach this. It was like the light bulb went off. He's like, dang it. Now I know why I'm I'm not moving on. But if no one, yeah, I was like, if no one tells you what the expectations are, what they want you to do, then you're going to fall back upon what you know, you know? And, you know, I tell people all the time who are like, well, I wish I had known that. I'm like, how are you supposed to know that? Mm-hmm. You know, like you don't know what you don't know. You can't just suddenly know the information that you're supposed to, mm-hmm. you know? And that's why I think it's just so important for people to watch podcasts like this and to do their research and talk to people who have made the transition before them to, you know, potentially learn some of these common mistakes that we see. Obviously, everyone's going to make mistakes. You and know, and don't, but, don't be scared of failure. I mean, in yeah. law enforcement, we're all type A people. We all want to succeed. We all want to do the right thing. But at the end of the day, sometimes there's an X factor. Sometimes you could, you could have the best interview. Your paperwork is great, but you just are not selected because of yeah. one reason or another. But if you can go into those interviews feeling that I did the best I can, given, given my background, what I could bring to the table, you're going to be satisfied. But I, I tell people, your first goal shouldn't be getting the job. Your first goal should be getting the interview, getting your foot in the door, because that they're giving you an opportunity to, to uh, audition for this position. And it is an audition because you have to clearly communicate your value add in a very short period of time. And you've got to establish that likability factor. Amen. Yeah. It's, it's a bi-directional interview. Yes. Absolutely. You know, they're interviewing you, but you're also interviewing them. Absolutely. And in fact, it, it's funny. Um, you you kind of jarred my memory. I was on an interview with a a Fortune ten company, and I was very prepared. I I, I wore a suit. Uh, I I showed up fifteen minutes early. I get to this place, and they were fifteen minutes late. They dressed up like they were going to go uh, going lumberjacking, <laughs> and we had an interview. 
And they were not organized. They didn't take any notes. They, they were so unprepared, inarticulate. And I thought to myself, I can't work for this company if these are the type of people that are actually recruiting people. So that's another thing that as people seeking jobs in, in, in corporate sector, in, in the corporate uh, arena, you have to make sure that you want to work for that company or work for that person or work for that, that work with that team. Because I found out having the interview, I really don't want to work here. <laughs> yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So it's those a, are things to really consider. Street. It's a yeah, two-way it's, street. It's a relationship. And even if, and I tell people like your qualifications get you in the door, but it's your ability to relate to the people especially the people you're going to be working with, your actual team members, your direct manager, that ultimately most likely get you the job because you can be the most highly qualified person in the room, but if you can't get along with people, it's going to be a quick, it's going to be a quick job. Yeah. They don't want to you know? hire you. They're not going to hire you. They don't want to hire somebody that's going to be a problem right, right off the bat or, or somebody who can't answer a question simply on, on point and something and, and, and be able to convey their ideas clearly. Absolutely. Well, brother, I know we're coming to the end of our podcast. Is there any other advice or anything else that you want to say to anyone who potentially is going to watch this? Well, you know, I, I, I think we hit all the major points. I mean, obviously this can be a whole, you can get an PhD <laughs> in trying to find a job in corporate sec security or, or the corporate arena or making that transition. But I think that uh, we've hit a lot of very salient points and they are important. You, you know, as I mentioned, looking for a job is a job. You have to do your due diligence. You, you have to really look within your, yourself to, to see what's going to be fulfilling to you. Because in law enforcement, at least for me, it was a passion. And in trying to find a job that's something like that is very difficult in the corporate side. I mean, I enjoy what I do now but it's a different type of mission. It's a different type of passion. So, so a lot of people, especially in the military, you know, when you're, you're in the military, a lot of people just have a hard time transitioning and it's no fault of their own. It's because they, they're that kind of person and they've trained to that high speed and, and you just can't switch it off because it's part of their personality. So, you know, don't, be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to reach out to people, reach out to professionals like yourself, because at the end of the day, there's so many resources out there. The internet, there's so many videos, uh, there's so many people willing to, to carve out some free time um, or, or, or for paid time at low cost that could basically take your, take your job hunting uh, job hunting skills to the next level. And, and that's what I have to convey is basically just be, just, just keep on going, you know, don't be discouraged, keep on having a support network, look for, for new contacts, rekindle old contacts and um, just take it in stride. Don't take it personally. Words to live by brother. Well, Hey, thank you so much for participating here and sharing your journey and your story. Really, really appreciate it, brother. Yeah, absolutely. And I enjoy looking at your company and trajectory and the, all the things that you do every week to help people. It's, it's a great thing that you're doing and filling that gap. And I really appreciate the opportunity to, to spend this time with you and the audience. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, every guys, 
please have a great day. You know, if you listen to this and you see value in it, please connect with Mari and myself. Please let him know, you know, what you got out of it and, and what really hit home for you. And if there's anything that we can do to facilitate your transition, all you have to do is ask. Thank you so much. Thanks, Eric.